Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Chapel Southeast Podcast. Thanks for joining us for our study through the book of 2 Corinthians. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. In it, Paul gets very personal about his own shortcomings, and he comforts the believers in Corinth. But he also teaches us that by embracing our own weakness, we are able to experience God's strength. Grab your Bibles, and let's jump in. If you have your Bibles, would you open them to 2 Corinthians chapter 5? And when you get there in your Bibles, if you'd stand with me for the reading of God's Word this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. You may be seated. The moment that you were born and we entered this world, our mothers no doubt rejoiced. (laughs) Labor, the pain of labor has stopped, it's over, and we're in our bodies, finally, right? We're, we're there, we're, we can be held, we can be hugged, we can be fed, we can be laid down for a nap, right? Some of us, we were cute as babies, other of us, we grew into our cuteness later in life. And then, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I had no one in mind with that, okay? I'm probably thinking of myself. Okay, we're fed though. As we go through life, right, we're fed and with, with food and we begin to grow and we begin to mature and um, we, we grow quickly to that infant stage that you, where you're, you're two to three years old and, and that's the stage where your parents prayed for you like they've never prayed for you before in your life, right? The terrible toddler stage and then you make it to preschool and then to kindergarten and then to elementary school, and that's where we have probably our first spelling test and our math quiz, and then we hit that terrible awkward stage called middle school. (laughs) If you're a middle schooler in here, I don't think you are because we have middle school group happening right now, but um, I hated that stage, right? That's when our bodies are changing, our voices begin to squeak, and then thankfully we move to something greater called high school, and I don't know how much greater it is, but um, we might play sports. Some of you might have played sports. You go to homecoming dances. Then you, you graduate from high school, and then some go straight into the workforce. Others uh, go to college, and then you find yourself post-college years, 
And that's when your parents or your grandparents or that crazy aunt and uncle start pestering you, like, when are you going to get married? When are you going to settle down? When are you going to stop goofing off? And, you know, all of that, right? And then you finally find the right person. And some of us, like, you know, maybe you, you took kind of a few wrong tries, and, and then you finally find the right one, and you get married, and you, you have children, and before you know it, your children are getting married, and they're having children of their own. And then you notice that your body doesn't look the way that it used to. Normal tasks start requiring enormous amounts of energy and brain power like it never had been used to before. And you look back on your life and you you start telling like your oldest child, maybe he's 35, she's 35, you'll always be my baby, right? You're one of those people now. And, And then you tell them the wisdom that you've gained over the years. Right? You've gained this wisdom. Hey, son, daughter, enjoy the time with your little ones because they grow up so fast. And then at some unforeseen point in time, we, we realize, you know what? I don't think we're meant to live forever. <laughs> I mean, we always knew that to be true. Like we're not, we're not, we're not, you know stupid, but we've transferred, it's transferred from like the theoretical to like the experiential. And that's where some of us are at today. Like, we understood that to be a truth of life, but now it's starting to set in as reality. Like, so what happens? And the question we're left with is, what happens when our bodies break down? (laughs) I don't think they're going backwards, right, in time, right? We're not going back there. What happens next after we die? For those of you who are grandparents or great-grandparents, I know we have some great-grandparents here, or, or even just parents, like, you know, you've watched your kids grow and your grandkids grow. Now you're watching your, maybe your great-grandkids grow. You know life is short. And we weren't meant to live forever. We weren't meant to live in these bodies forever. But again, that number one question is like, well, what happens next? We want to know these things. And we start realizing, and I've been really in this place right now where I'm like, man, time flies like when you're young, like it's just like time stands still. You're just like, man, I want to be old and I just want to get older and I want to have all the, the luxuries. And I'm like, I tell my kids because they say that, I'm like, you mean all the bills and all the responsibilities, like, you know, but the freedom or whatever. You know, we, we're young and we want that and then we're there and we're like, wow, we can't slow down time, can we? And now I realize my oldest son is 14 years old. 14, and he reminds me almost every day that he's 14 and that, you know, he's going to be driving in two years and, you know, he's like, I'm only going to be here for four more years and Mary's crying and, you know, in the corner, she's thinking about it and I'm like, yesterday he was five. Yesterday he was five and now he's 14 because time flies. So it makes us think and you're like, man, you are depressing me with, you know, there's this, this reality that time is short and all these things, but our bodies break down, Right? They break down in time, and that's the cycle of life. And and so these are great questions, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian here today. These are great questions to ask. What happens next? What happens to our bodies after they break down? And Paul, who wrote this letter to the Corinthians, it answers that in verse 1. Today, if you're taking notes, we just have two points. The first point is this, the building of God. Look at verse 1 with me. For we know... That if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. 
Paul is once again, he's using, like we saw last week, comparison as a teaching tool, if you will. He's comparing our physical bodies to, to tents as a, a opposed to a, a building. Now, as you are probably well aware of, a tent is a temporary shelter, and it's meant for those who are away from home, right? Unless... Never mind, we're not getting into that. But like, unless you have it, like, you know, you're camping in your backyard or something like that. But generally, when you would use a tent is when you're not in the luxuries of your home. If you're out camping somewhere, it is not considered camping if you stay in a hotel, which would be the greatest camping in the world for me, okay? And some of you, you have an amazing RVs that doesn't count as camping either, okay? Like, no, I'm just kidding, it does. <laughs> My wife loves camping, loves camping. She grew up going camping. We had, used to have a church camp out every year, hoping to get that back, by the way. But anyways, um, so she loves camping. And I'm, and I'm like, I like the city. Like, I love skyscrapers, and I like hotels. And, you know, and she's like, I like trees. And I'm like, Ugh, you know, like <laughs> once a year maybe. And so um, my parents have always owned trailers the last probably 10, 10, 15 years. And so they've always been gracious enough to be like, hey, anytime you guys want to use it, we'll drive it down. We'll get it all set up for you. And so I'm like, sweet, like I can finally camp. And um, so I tell Mary, I'm like, hey, we can go camping. And she's like, really? We, you you want to go camping? Are you feeling okay? And I'm like, yeah, my parents said they'll bring down their trailer. And she's like, that's not camping. <laughs> to her, camping is a tent. <laughs> Any hardcore campers here? Say amen. amen. Trailer people here? Say amen. amen. <laughs> the tent that you stay in, right? That's camping. And we don't live out there, thankfully, right? Thank the Lord. We're just temporarily staying. Some people call it vacation. I wouldn't ever call it that, but some people call it vacation. But we're not permanently there. That's the point. We're not permanently outside. Warren Wearsby, he said this. He says, a vagabond has no home. A fugitive is running from home. A stranger is away from home, but a pilgrim is is heading home. Church, you and I are pilgrims heading for home. And right now, we have found ourselves living in this strange land that keeps getting stranger and stranger every single day, right? Jesus said in, in John 8, 23, he said to them, the Pharisees, you are from, the the, from below, I am from above. You are from of this world, I am not of this world. And I think of Paul's words when he wrote to the Romans in, in Romans 12, 2, and you know this verse. He says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And I think if we're honest, many times as believers, we can forget that we are just pilgrims passing through. That this world is not our home, but we're making our way to our real home. And during our travels, during this journey that we're on called life to our real home, we've been given, as Paul says here, a tent. A tent, our earthly bodies. And it's something just like you go camping and have a physical tent. That tent does not last forever. Eventually you have to replace it, right? Sometimes like the, the little... the pegs or what I clearly don't camp so whatever those poles are like they break right sometimes there's rips and there's tears and and all of those things it wears down right so our tents our our earthly bodies Paul's comparing to they're for temporary use 
temporary use. And as we're passing through, again, we're strangers. We're, we're, we're pilgrims in this strange land. Paul tells us, tells the Romans, he says, don't be conformed. That is, don't pick up. While you're, you're on this camping trip, don't pick up the bad habits of those who belong to this world as you make your way through it. Listen, church, let me say it one more time. This world is not our home. And do not conform to this world when you're not of the world. That's why Jesus was telling the religious leaders, you are of the world, but I'm not of the world. Jesus told his disciples in John 15, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So don't be conformed to the world when you're not of the world. Remember that quote from Warren Wiersbe? A fugitive, he says, is running from home. Now, I don't think any of you this morning are fugitives here, right? Or at least I hope not. But <laughs> you're not even a vagabond. But we're a stranger. We're a pilgrim, I should say. We're away from home, but we're on our way there soon. And we know that when, when our earthly bodies break down and they die, we have a home, verse 1, built in heaven. We, he, says, he says this, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Isn't that an incredible verse? Jesus said in John 14, listen to this, this isn't something new, this, is what, this isn't something that Paul's just making up and writing to the Corinthians, right? No, this, is what, this backs up what Jesus said. He said, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, and where I am you may be also. How amazing, church, to think that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. You think, like, man, who's, who's preparing your eternal home? Like, well, Jesus went. Like, you know, Jesus, I don't know who's preparing yours, but I know Jesus is preparing mine. And he says that, I go to prepare a place for you. How incredible is that? You know, I, I've thought over the years about what, what will heaven be like? Have you thought about that? Hollywood is so distorted, I think, what true heaven will be like. But what will heaven be like? What is it going to be like when you and I are finally in the presence of God? What, worshiping with the angels and the saints just forever around the throne. And I think the more that we see in life, man, the more we watch the news, the more we scroll on social media, the, the, the pain even and the suffering and, the, and all the things that we go through in our own lives, I think the more that we see that and go through that and experience that, the more that we'll long for heaven. And some of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Lord, I'm looking forward to your return. Lord, I'm longing to be with you. You know, the things that we deal with in our physical bodies, the, the things that confine us to the laws of nature and the universe, those things, man, we can't wait to shed because of our sinful nature that we're born with. And I think that is in complete alignment with what Paul says in verse 2. He says, for indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. We want this. Amen? 
Paul says that we long to be clothed like this. Like, what is this going to be like? Uh, uh, my nephew, Zane, was born with Fragile X Syndrome. I don't know if you've ever heard of Fragile X Syndrome. Um, I hadn't until he was born, and we've done a lot of research. But he's six years old. And, you know, in this body, in this life, in the, on earth, he is confined to a body that is not as we would consider normal. He probably will never speak. He is six and just learned to walk, and um, he has cognitive delays, and, and, and he'll probably never be able to clothe himself and, and, and live on his own and all of those things. And I, and I think to myself, man, I wonder what Zane's going to be like in heaven. Like, I wonder what my little nephew's going to be like when he's no longer just bound to the limitations of the body here on earth, when Zane will be complete and he'll be whole. And I know some of you, you, you know what that's like. And you, you wonder, you know, maybe you have family members or friends or as your body breaks down, like what is this going to be like in heaven when we're no longer bound? Because we hope and we desire to be clothed, as Paul says. I mean, we clothe with the righteousness, with this dwelling from heaven where we're free from limitations and the hardships that we, that we have here on this earth. And I want that for me personally. I desire this for my family. I, I want this for, for all of us, that we would have this assurance of what's to come. This assurance of salvation. That because of who Jesus was and is and his righteousness that is offered to us, that we wouldn't be found naked in our own self-righteousness. Because that's what happens. Man, if you want to be clothed one day in eternity with Jesus in his righteousness, you need to be found in him. Like you need, to, you need to give your life to him. But if you're thinking that you're going to do it all on your own, Paul says, man, you're going to be naked. You're going to be naked. Paul, Paul says in Philippians 3 that we want to be found in him having no righteousness of our own. Today, if you're here and you're thinking that you might be good enough in your own efforts or you think your morality or your good deeds is what's going to get you to this place one day where you're going to be clothed with this eternal clothing, you know, this, this house made not with hands but made for by God for you. If you think that's going to be you based upon your own right standing, you are mistaken. You're mistaken. If you're seeking to stand before God in your own righteousness, your own goodness, you will be embarrassed come that day. Because Isaiah tells us that our righteousness, all of our righteousness are like filthy rags. All of it. The good things that we do. All of it like filthy rags. Verse 4, Paul says, For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed. So that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now, in the Greek language, that word for, for groan, I think, is, is perfectly translated. But another translation could also mean to sigh. To sigh. And we see the pain and the suffering of the world, right? We go through the, the aches and pains of life, whether physically or relationally and emotionally. And so we know, man, there's so many things that weigh heavy on us. Can you guys relate to that? Like there's things that we go through that, are, that weigh heavy on us and we groan, we sigh. Many of you know what I'm talking about here. You woke up today, right? You know this, like you groan. For some of you, this is your life verse. Like you're like, yeah, I get this. I quote this every day. <laughs> like I can't tell you how many times in the last year or so as I reflect on, on the things just going on in my own life, my own personal life, man, it's left me heavy. 
weighed down, burdened. And the only feeling, because I was in a place this week that I felt this very same thing, just this heaviness, the only thing I could do was go, just sigh. And for some of us, we don't feel as strong or as healthy as we used to be. And we groan. For others, we, we find ourselves on that hamster wheel of problems that we face, and it doesn't seem to be, oh, not again, it doesn't seem to be getting better. And we sigh, we, we're weighed down, we're burdened, we find ourselves depressed, man. And then you just think, man, I just want to be home with the Lord. I just want to be home. Can you guys relate to that? Just, man, Lord, I just want to be free from these things. So we don't want to be found unclothed, right? We want to be found in just, we want this tangible reality. I think of what Paul said back in 1 Corinthians 15. He said this, For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Death, church, swallowed up in the life of Jesus Christ. Listen, we want that. We desire that. Amen? And he says in verse 5, Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Now, now, if he were to say here in verse 5 that the one who has prepared all of this wonderful things, the one who's prepared this eternal life for us is, is Jake from, far, from State Farm, right? Or, or Jeff Bezos from Amazon, right? You're like, oh, I'm a little nervous about this, right? Because they're humans. If he says, hey, the, the, the one who's prepared you for this, for eternal life, is your pastor or something, or something like that. No, I would be concerned. But Paul is saying that God himself has prepared us for eternal life. That's what's coming. That's the hope. This is not the end, church. Like This is good news. And as a sign, as a pledge, he's given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit. He's given that to us. And in this world, we understand that we go through difficult, hard things. And some of you, you're going through a difficult season right now. The Holy Spirit is the thing that God has given us and we have immediate access to. The Holy Spirit. What a gift. David Guzik, in his commentary on the Enduring Word, said this, When the trials are hard on earth, it isn't always easy to take comfort in our heavenly destiny. God knew this, so he gave us the Spirit as a guarantee. He backs up the promise of heaven with a down payment right now, the Holy Spirit. Church, right now, at this very moment, we have the Holy Spirit. It may not be your time to go to heaven, to be with the Lord right now, only the Lord knows the number of days that we have. But we have, in the meantime, the Holy Spirit as a down payment for what lies ahead. A down payment. And we know that the Holy Spirit is with us. The Holy Spirit is in us. He's comforting us. He's convicting us. He's counseling us. He's always leading us to Jesus. That's his main role. The Holy Spirit is encouraging us. He's, he's empowering us to serve the Lord. He, the Holy Spirit right now is in us, in our weakness, right? And he's, and, and he's just, just allowing God. He's the, the, the force behind God's like, promises, like 
being fulfilled in our lives. And so we have the Holy Spirit right now. But listen, as amazing as it is to have that close intimacy with the Lord, and that is, how much more amazing and glorious will it be when we're actually face-to-face with him? And that's the promise here. The Holy Spirit is just a down payment. A down payment. Hey, there's more coming. There's more coming. We recently had to buy a car. And we had to put down a little bit of a down payment. It wasn't much, believe me. But we put down a little bit. Of, and, it, and that was a sign to the dealership that there was more coming. The bank was sending more. But there was more coming, right? And that's the same way with the Holy Spirit. The same way with the Holy Spirit. One commentator said, many Christians experience great blessings from the Holy Spirit right now. And when we consider how glorious the down payment is, we should consider how great the whole gift will be. The whole gift. I love that. And so verse 6 says, Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in our body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. You know, walking is a special thing that I think many of us take for granted sometimes. I was just telling you a little bit about my nephew Zane. And again, he's six years old and just learned to walk. And he's still a little, little fragile in his walking, right? Just learn to walk. But walking means putting one foot in front of the other, in front of the other, one step at a time. And that's why I love Psalm 119. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It's the walk of faith. As followers of Jesus, our, our, our walk, this journey, this camping trip, whatever you want to call it, this is not, we were not meant to lean on the things that we can just see and the things that we can touch, but, but it's this journey of faith. And faith is the substance of things Hoped for. Hope for the evidence of things not yet seen with our eyes. Faith is keeping our eyes fixed, not on the things that we can see or touch, but trusting in the promises of God and what he has in store for us. And that's what faith is. When he says we walk by faith because heaven isn't real yet for us. We're on this side of eternity still. So we walk this journey in faith, faith in him, faith in the promises of God of what is to come, that the one who started the work in us will be faithful to bring it to completion. And so we're called, church, to live a life of faith, not just, you know, when it's good and and, and life is going well, but at all times, at all times. And we follow Jesus in faith until we get to that place where we shed our earthly bodies. We shed our bodies and we're clothed with our glorified bodies when sight becomes real for us. The building of God that is not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. We have this confidence. We might not see it now. This is where faith comes in. But by faith, we trust in the one who promised is faithful. Amen? So that's number one, the building of God. Secondly, We're going to look at the presence of God. Look at verse 8. For we are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Let me read that one more time. We are of good courage. I say and prefer rather to be absent from the body to be at home with the Lord. If you don't have that verse highlighted in your Bible, let me encourage you, highlight it. Or if you have an a pen, like underline it. That word good courage can also be translated as boldness or confidence. To have the boldness to say this or to have the confidence to stand upon this truth. 
And confidence, we love confidence, right? We love to feel confident. We don't want to be like non, we don't want to be insecure, right? We want to, we want to be confident. And confidence, we know just in our day-to-day lives is so important. Don't you think that being confident in what happens after this life is even more important to have this confidence? You know, most people don't have the confidence of what's going to happen to me after I die. They don't have that. They're not confident. They're unsure. And people might say that they, they hope to be good enough in this life to have a positive outcome in the afterlife or whatever they call it, right? And the problem with that thinking, because that's very earthly and it's demonic, the problem with this is how do you know if you've been good enough? And that might be your thinking. Well, hey, I know church is just about being good, right? And I'm a a good person. No, the only way you're going to know if you were good enough is the day of judgment day when you are up there face-to-face with Jesus and it is too late to go back and change things in your life. But you see, as followers of Jesus, as believers, as Christians, we have confidence in what actually happens to us when we die. Amen? Because we know that death is a certainty for all of humanity. But because of what Jesus did on the cross for us, we have the forgiveness of our sins and the newness of life that is promised to us. And we know with confidence that when we die, as Paul says here, when we die, we will be in the presence of God forever. For those of you who have loved ones that have known Jesus and followed Jesus, you know, man, there's that assurance in your heart. You know, you you grieve because you you miss them, right? But you know, you're confident that they're with the Lord. And as followers of Jesus, we know, we have this confidence that the moment that we too leave our bodies, we will be immediately in the presence of the Lord. Amen? Amen. That is a comforting verse. That is the hope. My, you, know, you, you know, my dad passed away last month and my mom was with him when the moment he took his last breath. And the moment, church, that he took his last breath on earth, he breathed his first breath in heaven. Like we have that confidence. And my dad was immediately, immediately in the presence of the Lord. Free from pain. He was free from suffering, free from sin. And not only is he, is, is, is he free from those things, and I think of my dad just, man, he's in heaven. He's with all of the greats that have gone before him. You think of like Billy Graham. My dad's probably talking to Billy and, you know, or Chuck Smith or, or Charles Spurgeon or Paul, the apostle, right? Like that's amazing. But more than that, my dad is in the presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord. So again, church, our current residence is temporary. It's a temporary one. And right now we're in these bodies. We understand, though, while we're here, while we remain, while we're on earth, we are absent from the roll call in heaven. You guys remember the roll call, like if you went to school, right? I went to elementary school, and then my mom's like, you got to be homeschooled from here on out, right? So, but I remember being in elementary school. And, and every morning with the Pledge of Allegiance, I don't know if they do that anymore. They probably should, but I, I don't know. Anyways, um, we did that, and then we did the roll call, right? The teacher would go down, alphabetical order, Ryan, Frederick, here, right? Good attendance record, by the way. Um, always there, present. And when the roll call happens today in heaven, what's going to happen is Ryan Frederick, because I'm in the Lamb's Book of Life, right? You are too. Ryan Frederick, absent. <laughs> He's not here. He's not here. Now, I haven't seen Evan. I haven't been there. Or else I'd write the book like many people do. But um, no, I'm just. <laughs> but until we do, Paul is saying this, church, we walk by faith, not by sight. 
We walk by faith of what's to come. But the Holy Spirit right now is working in our lives, bringing this confidence. This is what the Holy Spirit is ministering to us even right now, that, hey, this is bad, yes, but what's coming is so great. And we have this hope and this assurance of what's to come. Because when the roll call comes in heaven that day, where I have been previously marked as absent, I have the confidence to say, here. I know that I'll be able to say, present, I'm here. We have this confidence, church, that if you are in Christ, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, in the presence of the Lord. And this is what makes heaven heaven. This is what makes heaven beautiful and wonderful and glorious is to be in the presence of the Lord. I'll tell you what, with the loss of my dad, I can honestly say that heaven is more precious to me than it's ever been. It's more precious. Pastor Doug used to always say that, man. Heaven just becomes more precious, you know, when, when loved ones pass on. And, um, but I haven't really f- experienced that in my life until my dad. And so I can honestly say, man, I can't wait to see my dad again. I can't wait to be there. But more than that, more than seeing my dad and giving him a hug and, and I don't think we'll have to catch up on life, but you know, just to talk about the amazingness of God, more than that, more than the streets of gold, which I cannot wait to see too, okay? More than seeing the angels around the throne worshiping, singing holy, 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 as we sang even this morning. More than all of the amazing things that we will do and see and be a part of. What makes heaven heaven, church, is being in the presence of the Lord. That's what makes it rich. That's what makes it where it's face to face with God. That we will fully know God. That we will be fully, we will know, we, I was talking to a gal yesterday, man, we we're going to know perfect love in heaven. Isn't that incredible? That's what makes heaven heaven. So the moment we stop this long camping trip and we shed our earthly tents, we will be, we will be, we will be in the presence of the Lord. The pilgrim will be home. And we will be in that place that Jesus has prepared for us in his Father's house. Look at verse 9. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. Pleasing the Lord in this life and in death is something that we ought to greatly desire and live for. You might be here today and you're not sure what to do in life. You're like, I don't know what, my life just kind of feels like it has no purpose or I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what career I'm gonna pick. All these things, listen, be ambitious, as Paul says, to please the Lord with your life. Please the Lord in everything that you do, everything that you say, everything that you invest in in this life. Please the Lord and then everything else will fall into place. That word ambitious also means to aim, to have aim. One translation says, therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Some, some believers, some Christians, unfortunately, do not live lives that would, we would consider be marked with holiness and by holiness. 
And some we can fall into this trap while we're absent from the Lord. We're still present on this earth. We've conformed to the world. As Paul says, don't be. We've done it. We've conformed to the culture. We've allowed the pressures of, of society to dictate uh, to us how we should live and how it, what we should be about and all of these things. And we find ourselves in fear of man. And so we bow to man before bowing to God. And we can fall so easily into the trap of, okay, we need to maybe change, you know, what we believe to be true about God's word to accommodate what the world says is true. That's why I'm so grateful about our VBS this year. Man, keepers of the kingdom, keepers of the truth of, of God's word. Listen, it should be our aim, Paul says. Our aim, we should live aim with aim with purpose to please the Lord while we are here on earth. May we have hearts that say, Lord, whatever I do, I want to live for your glory. I want to live to please you. I want to obey you. We're not earning love, right? We're not earning salvation, right? You know, James can be kind of confusing in that, right? About works and faith. No, no, no. We are simply responding to what God has done in us already. And we want to live lives that please them, that are obedient. Our family, we're reading through the screw tape letters again. Have you guys ever read the screw tape letters from C.S. Lewis, published, I think, in the early 1940s? And the, the book is a fictional, um, it's a series of fictional letters written by this senior demon, screw tape. And he's writing to his nephew, Wormwood, who is a junior tempter. And, and they're all about just inflicting the life of a human, right, to keep them away from Jesus. And to them, Jesus and God, they're the enemy. And they're doing everything in life to distract, to get us off course and all of these things, right? It's a fascinating book. It just kind of opens our imagination to the spiritual realm that I know to believe is very true. And so anyways, check out the screw tape letters. It's a, it's a, it's a neat read. But it says this. I, we were driving home from the coast this week, and we were listening to the audiobook again. And this just caught my attention. So this is, this is screw tape writing to his nephew Wormwood, again, about the believer and that their enemy is God. So catch this quote. It says this, Our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring but still intending to do our enemy's will, looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and yet still obeys. And yet still obeys. The enemy, and I think that's a great perspective of the enemy's thought. Man, our cause, the, the enemy's cause of just wrecking havoc in life is never more in danger, church, when we can walk by faith and not by sight. When we can live our lives seeking with aim, with purpose, with ambition to please the Lord. Let me ask you this morning, what are you aiming for in your life? What are you aiming for in your life? What is your life about? Is it, is it about your career? Is it about making more, 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 more money? <laughs> is it about having just a nice house? Like what, what is it that you're aiming for in, in life right now? And do you have the confidence, if you were to ask yourself this very moment right now, do you have the confidence, as Paul said, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Do you have that confidence to say that about your life? Can you say with 100% certainty about your life that, man, if when I die, not if, when I die, I will be with 
the Lord? Or are there things in our lives that would cause us to say, man, I don't know. I don't know if I could say that. I'm unsure what will happen when, when I leave this earth. Listen, that can be a scary place to be in and not a comfortable place to be in. But Paul says here, I love this, that it's his ambition just to please the Lord. Lord, whether I'm here or whether I'm there, I just want to please you. I want to please you. Look at verse 10. He says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Whether good or bad. (laughs) What a sobering truth. Paul is saying that one day every believer will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That is the Bema seat for us as believers. And we will all give an account for what we have done on this earth. All of our, the time that we've been given, the resources we've been given, the the talents and the abilities that we've been given to steward, we're going to all give an account for it. How'd you do? What'd you do with what I gave you? We're called to steward it. All the serving even that we do, even in the church, will be tested. Even the motives behind why we do what we do around here will be tested. And the things that were done for the glory of God, that's the things that will last. We saw this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 when he says, Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So let me ask us again this morning as we close As Josh comes up, what are we living for? What are we living for? You know, Jesus said this. He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures here on earth. Why? Because life is fleeting. It's temporal. Right? Moths will come in and rust will destroy the treasure. But Jesus said, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moths nor rust can destroy. Are you, church, are you living for momentary pleasures in this world? Or are you living for eternity? Are you living for eternity? If we are ever going to live the lives that are pleasing to the Lord, we have to set our eyes on the things above. The things above. Because everything in our culture tells us to look here, to look down, to look at all the things, all of the problems and all of the, the leaks in the house and all of these things, right? Be consumed with, with stuff and all, you know, all of this. That's, that's what the world, that's what our culture tells us to make your life about. But the Bible says to look not at the things of this world, to set our mind above. Because as we looked at last week, we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are unseen, they're eternal. Again, I said it last week, Pastor Chuck would be famous to say, only one life will soon be passed. And only what's done for Christ will last. 
May our lives be all about the service of the King, King Jesus. And may God help us by the power of his spirit to live for the eternal. Father, we pray that in right now. We ask, God, we've been reminded of the, the fleetingness of life. We've been reminded this morning of how quick time flies. That we are here today and gone tomorrow. Life is but a vapor. Your your word tells us all of these things. You've warned us about these things. And here we are. Now we're faced with this reality. Lord, I pray that you would help us in the time that we have left. Whether you come for us or we go to you, Lord. That you would help us to honor you and to serve you to be well-pleasing, that our ambition, man, we have a lot of ambition probably in this room for so many things, but Lord, may we be ambitious to please you. May it be our aim in our life to please you. Lord, not because we're trying to earn your love, but because we're so fully loved, fully loved. And it's the least that we can do. It's the least we can do. So, Lord, help us by your spirit. God, we thank you for the hope of heaven. We thank you that this is not the end. We thank you for the eternal life that you've promised to us that is to come and that we have confidence in it. We thank you for that, Lord. Thanks for listening. If you're ever in the Portland area, we would love to have you visit us for one of our services. For service times, location, or even just to learn more about the ministry of Calvary Southeast, you can visit our website at ccseportland.com. We hope you've been blessed by this week's teaching. Join us next week as we continue in our study together.